So last week, we began a new sermon series called Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach. And it is uh, basically all month we're looking at one of the core values of Grace Church, which is put me in coach. And here's how we describe that value. We, as a church, will not sit on the sidelines when God's Spirit is moving. We are activistic. We are engaged. We are passionate about using our gifts and our resources to help heal this broken world in Jesus' name. Okay, that's our value. Put simply, we want to be a church. We desire to be a church where every single one of us is living fully into our God-given passions and gifts and, and investing in this spiritual family so that we as a community can do what God has called us to do. So for the month of November, we are going to carefully explore just a, a handful of verses in Paul's letter to the Romans uh, where he talks about just this. Last week, we saw how, how Paul describes what Christ followers are to be, how we are to offer our lives to God as a living sacrifice. That's what he uses, that, that, that metaphor of a living sacrifice. In other words, if God truly has rescued us from our sin, from death, if, if that's what he has done, then it is the logical, the rational thing for us to do to dedicate not just a portion of our lives, but every breath to him. That's the logical response. Living sacrifice. We put our lives on the altar like a sacrifice, okay? That's what we do. And when we do that, as we looked at last week, God does something pretty amazing in, inside of us. His Holy Spirit begins to transform us, to change the way we think. We get turned into new people, people who don't just copy the behavior and the customs of the world around us, but do something different. We start to look like Jesus, or as I put it last week, we become weirdos, right? Weirdos. I say weirdos because when we become like Christ, as that transformation is happening within us, our values as individuals, they, they look nothing like the violent, selfish, hate-filled world around us. No. No, instead, we start to become more and more generous, more loving, more, more peaceful, more self-controlled, more humble. That's what happens to us. We become people who dedicate their time and their energy and their, and their resources and even, even their desires. We dedicate it to the purposes of our God. We become living sacrifices, weirdos to the world. So that's a high bar. That's a high bar. And, and, and Paul does not pull any punches in this passage. That's where he starts. But that is what we are called to become as followers of Jesus. Put me in, coach. Right? I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want an inch deep faith anymore. This life is yours. That's what we're called to do. All right, so you ready to dig a little bit deeper? Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles now to Romans 12, and we'll be in verse 3 to start. So let me just pray for us, and then we will uh, we'll talk about this passage. Father God, we invite you into this space. We, we know it's a high call, but we trust that you have our best in mind as you call us to look like your son. I pray that as we uh, go through this message, I would just disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Would you give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today? We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So again, we're going carefully through this passage. Last week, we looked at verses 1 and, verses, and verse 2. Uh, today, we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. All right, we're not going to make a ton of progress, but it's going to be great. So 
a little bit of context before we dive in of, of Paul's chain of thinking here. Uh, he, he has kind of an intricate argument, and you've got to kind of pay attention to, to how he's forming it. So Paul's primary concept here, his big idea, is what I just talked about, that idea of us becoming living sacrifices. That's the core to Paul of what it means to follow Christ, complete surrender to God's will and not our own. All right, that's, that's verse 1. He kicks it off with that. Verse 2, again, which we looked at last week, is where Paul talks about that internal transformation that happens to us. Uh, we called it sanctification. That's the, the process where we give our lives to God, and then he transforms us into new people with new thoughts and behaviors. Okay, that's what happens. Now, that transformation in verse 2 is in very individualistic terms. It's talking about each of us has our own lives transformed. But here, when we get into verse 3, Paul begins to, to zoom out a little bit and starts talking about that transformation in terms of our community, in terms of the church that surrounds us. So let's, let's talk about how we are a part of a bigger whole. We'll read that now. All right, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Hmm. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Okay. So we're going to talk in a minute about this whole metaphor of the body of Christ. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But for now, as we look at verse 3, just remember that Paul is talking about our place in a broader community. So he begins, he kicks it off with this comment about something that is pretty important in a healthy community. Each of us having an appropriate self-image. Okay, it's important if you, to, to understand who you are to be able to see how you fit in a bigger community. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Don't think you are better than you really are. Okay? Now, this word, to think, to think, I want to focus on that for a minute because in Greek, this word uh, is phroneo, phroneo, and it, is, it means to be of a certain frame of mind. However, this is not just like, oh, I, I think this about myself. It's like, it's the kind of thinking that leads to action. I think this is who I am, and so this is how I behave, right? He's, he's saying, have an appropriate thought about yourself. Specifically, he says, when you think about yourself, froneo, he says, don't be hooper froneo. Don't be hooper froneo. That's like haughty or overinflated in your thinking. That prefix, hooper, is actually the same prefix that we get. It's where we get our, our prefix, hyper. Hyper in English. So you could almost say, don't be hyper-minded when you think about yourself. Don't think that you are better than you are, because then you're going to start living that way. You're going to start living like you're better than you, than you are. Instead, instead of being hooper from neo, Paul says, be sofroneo, sofroneo. This is humble or, or sober-minded thinking. In other words, let your, your self-image be modest and right-sized and right-sized. Now, this is not the only place that Paul talks about this, this way that we think about ourselves, uh, about phroneo. He, he says in Philippians 2, in fact, uh, you must have the same attitude. There's that word phroneo. Think, think of yourself the way that Christ Jesus does. Okay, and then he goes on and he describes what does that look like? Well, what does that mean to think like, like Jesus? Well, as Paul goes on in Philippians 2, he says, even though he was God— 
He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. So that's how you should think about yourself. He was God and he didn't cling to that identity. And no, the God of the universe hung on a cross. That's how you should think of yourself, Paul says. Okay, that's sophroneo. That is humble. That is right thinking. Not full of ourselves, but emptying ourselves. That's the self-image that we are supposed to have for a healthy community. Okay, so how do you know whether your self-image is hooperfroneo or sophroneo? How do you know if you've got an overinflated self-image or a sober-minded self-image? Well, this is where things get interesting, at least to me. Paul says at the end of verse 3 that the answer to that question is you have to measure yourself. Measure yourself. More literally, he says, he says you need to think sober-mindedly, sophroneo, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think sober-mindedly, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there are some scholars who think that what Paul means here is that there is some sort of uh, universal standard of faith that we are all supposed to live up to, okay? They would say that that's what we're, what, what we're supposed to measure ourselves against, this universal standard of faith. So it's like, how good of a Christian are you? You'd be like, ah, uh, D plus. Maybe, maybe they'll curve the grading scale or something, right? That, that's the way that, that we're all comparing ourselves to the same thing. But there are other scholars, and I tend to agree with these other scholars, who actually think, no, what Paul's describing is each one of us having a different measure of faith that we are being measured against. I'll explain with a really dumb metaphor, but it's the only one I could think of. All right. Imagine that God is making a giant pie of faith. So this is the, the, all of the faith that, that every Christian of all time uh, is offering, that, that, they, that they live into. That's the faith pie that God is baking, all right? In this analogy, in this, this dumb metaphor, each one of us is a different, very tiny uh, slice of the pie. But what these scholars would say, and what I agree with, is that the slices of pie that, we, that make up our faith are different. They're different shapes and different sizes. Yes, it's all part of the big whole, but each one of us has a different slice of the pie. Your slice of faith and my slice of faith are not the same. God has measured out faith to each of us differently. Now, I say that, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound fair. That sounds like somehow unequal, right? Well, let me explain that, uh, what, what I think about this. Because the truth is, every one of us, every one of us has a very different faith story. Some of you were, were raised in a, a loving Christian home where your parents loved you and they loved each other. Were others of you, I mean, you were raised in a, uh, an environment of terrible brokenness. Maybe you have had to rely on God to redeem some incredible pain from your past. Maybe he's still redeeming it to this day. Those are two very different starting points and very different stories. Some of you have just begun your, your journey of, of faith with Jesus, and others of you have been walking with him for decades. Some of you have a passion for justice. Some of you have a passion for community. Some of you have a disability. Some of you have trauma from your past. Some of you are wealthy, and some of you are not. And every one of you has a unique mix of God-given gifts, right? So every one of us is different. The landscape of faith 
for you and for me is not the same. What it looks like for you to commit your life to God is not the same as what it looks like for the person next to you to commit their life to God. Our stories are different. So when we think about ourselves, when we are, are, are thinking of our own self-image, the question is not whether you are measuring up to some universal standard of faith. It's not about how good of a Christian are you. The question is, how well are you measuring up to what God has given you? How well are you measuring up to what God has given you? You see, this question changes the entire way that we, we think about ourselves, the way we evaluate ourselves. Because when you think in, this, in these terms, you're no longer comparing yourself to other believers. You are comparing yourself to yourself, to the person that God has made you to be, to the person he's calling you to be. How well are you measuring up to that person, to that version of you? Think of it this way. Think of it this way. With all that God has done in your life, with everything he has given you, with what he's brought you through, with the, the blessings and the gifts and the passions that he's given you, with the unique experiences that you've had of encountering him, with, with the grace and the forgiveness that you've received for your own sin patterns or whatever, all of that has been given to you. How close are you today to the person that he sees you as? Because he's been giving you all this stuff for a reason. He sees you as somebody. Are you that person? Or do you got some room to grow? Now that, that is a sober-minded question to ask. That is a sober-minded question to ask. I'll, I'll give you an example of this, okay? I'll speak about myself, all right? When I think about my, my faith or my whatever faith I've got. If we're just doing like a, a standard comparison person by person, I'm a pastor, right? So I must have it pretty well made in the shade, right? I could, like, what, you guys came to church, what, for a couple hours this week? I've been here all week, so I've got it pretty well taken care of. If we're all just, you know, trying to, like, compare faith like it's some sort of competition. But hold on, because if we start to flip it around and ask, okay, am I actually living up to what God has given me? It starts to change. It starts to change the equation, thinking in those terms, comparing apples to apples, that's a hooper from the O way of thinking. It is haughty. It's over, overinflated. But if I flip things around and start thinking about what God has given me, the experiences of meeting him uh, in incredible places all around the world, including in Haiti with Pastor Pierre. I got, I got to see God at work there. What a gift. Right? When I think about the, the wonderful Bible education I received with, that I didn't deserve, but the strong support structure I have of family and friends, a passion for teaching that God's given me. Uh, let's not forget about the forgiveness and the grace that I've been offered for my own ridiculous sin and brokenness. I've been given an awful lot, right? I've been given an awful lot. My life is piled high with the gifts that God has given me, right? I could have done with a better hairline, but about other than that, like God has been piling it on. He's been piling it on. Now, when I think about it that way, right, when I think in terms of, of what God has given me, suddenly, I'll be honest, I'm humbled because suddenly my responsibility, my responsibility to steward well what God has given me, it goes through the roof. Am I really giving him everything he deserves? Does my commitment to God's kingdom, not just in this job, but in all aspects of my life, does it measure up? to his investment in me? Or am I sitting back on the bench and kicking my feet up? 
That's the question that humbles me every day. That is the question that really sets me back because suddenly I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. I am looking squarely at the person that God has called me to be and asking, am I that guy? That's a, that's a sophroneo way of thinking of yourself. These are convicting questions because I know, I know that I could likely be a deeper living sacrifice than I am most days. Measure yourself, he says. Measure yourself by the faith that God has given us. We all have a different story. The question is, how are you measuring up to yours? All right. Let's just imagine, for the sake of argument, that you don't feel like you have completely made the grade with what God has given you, all right? And I'm going to say that as if it's like a hypothetical. None of us have, right? We are all working to get better at measuring up to who God has made us to be. But let's just say you're not entirely satisfied with how much of a living sacrifice your life is right now. You want to do more. You want to take another step. Where do you begin? How do you do this? What does it look like to take another step in this way? Well, let's read verses 4 and 5 again, and we'll find part of our answer. Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. I said we'd come back to this, this body metaphor. Well, Paul uses this metaphor a lot. This is another way of describing that, that uh, giant pie that I was mentioning before. Each one of us is a part of a much larger whole. But here's why Paul's metaphor works a lot better than my dumb one with about the pie. Because not only are we uniquely shaped and, and, you know, uniquely shaped slices of a bigger pie with our own measure of faith, not only that, but we also, as Paul says in verse 4, have a special function. We all have a special function. In other words, each one of us has a job to do. We quote Ephesians 2.10 here at Grace all the time, but we do it for a reason. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, he says, we are God's masterpiece, right? You were designed and crafted. You're not an accident. You are intentionally made by God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's that transformation that we, we become different weirdos to the world so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. See, the body of Christ is another way of talking about those good things that he planned for us. The work that God is doing in the world, through us. Right, Jesus is in the business of healing lives, yes? He's in the business of, of demolishing injustice, of restoring communities, on and on and on. He's doing all of that, but he is doing all of it through his body, through us, through you and me. We all have a role to play. Each one of us has a unique role to play in the body of Christ healing the world. We are many parts of one body, and each one of us, you, have a special function. I love this. I love this because it's easy to think of Christianity where we're all just like cookie-cutter uh, cutouts of the exact same model, but that is not—that couldn't be farther from the truth. Every one of us is uniquely shaped by God to do things that are not the same as the per person sitting next to you. You've got a job to do that is yours and yours alone. So, Let's get back to that question. What if you want to be a bigger, uh, more of a living sacrifice in your life for God? Where do you start? You start by doing the things that God has called you to do. 
You start by, by living into your special purpose, your special function. You just do the stuff. You begin, and God will start moving you on a journey that'll take you um, deeper and deeper. For example, let's just get hypothetical here. Let's imagine, let's imagine that you are somebody who works in the corporate world, okay? Some of you do, but let's just have a hypothetical uh, life story for you. You're, you work in the corporate world, and you have a, uh, a God-given passion for healing isolation, Let's just say, again, you, you've got a, your heart breaks for people who are isolated, okay? So if that's, that's your, your passion, let's also imagine that God has given you the spiritual gift of encouragement. You're uniquely gifted at encouraging other people. Okay, maybe, just to add, complete the story, let's just imagine that you were also raised in a really broken home. And so you've got some experience, firsthand experience with isolation, which is why you're so passionate about it. So let's just picture, that's your world. You, you work in the corporate world. Well, as it happens— as it happens, you are surrounded by coworkers who have plenty of brokenness of their own, people who are isolated, people who are alone. It could very well be your job, your story that demonstrates the encouraging love of Jesus to your coworkers. It could be what you are here to do. You might be the reason that your coworkers begin their own journeys of redemption with God. It could be through you that God accomplishes that incredible life-changing work. I can't do it. I can't do it because I don't work with your coworkers. I don't have the same background as you. Encouragement is not one of my highest spiritual gifts. It's your job to do if that's your story. Now we could do the same exercise with a whole bunch of other different uh, you know, scenarios. Let's imagine that you're a, a stay-at-home parent with a gift of discernment. How might you be able to use that gift to serve this community, to serve the people that God puts in your path? Let's imagine you're a high school student with a passion for justice. What might God be calling you to do? Or let's imagine that you're a, a recovering addict with a story of hope to tell. What is it that God has in front of you? Those are the types of questions that you ask when you recognize that we are many parts of one body, but each part has a special function. Good things that God designed for you to do. Again, the question is not whether you are some kind of super Christian. The question is, are you measuring up to the person that God has called you to be? And if you're not— or you would say, maybe I'm a little bit far off the mark. If that's where you are, maybe now's the time to get in the game. Put me in, coach. I don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. Let me be an instrument, your instrument, of healing this broken world. Yet again, Paul is pulling no punches. He is setting a high bar for Christ followers. And yet, as intense as this stuff is— isn't it kind of exciting to you? I mean, just imagine, imagine with me for a minute that, that we got this as a church, that we actually began living out this, this, this dream, this vision of every one of us stepping into our purpose, stepping into our calling. Imagine if, if you and the person sitting next to you and me and all of us, we were completely and fully devoted to who God has called us to be. And we were measuring up. Imagine how much our community would change. Imagine how deeply we'd be investing in one another in this spiritual family. Imagine the kind of bright, beautiful, loving light that would be shining to those around us if we were all in the game. Imagine. That is what excites me. We would change this world. In Jesus' name, we would do it. Our community would start to heal. And the love of Jesus would touch our neighbors, 
would give hope to our coworkers, would demonstrate to even our most anxious of people in our life that there is hope in a divided time. That, that fires me up, and I think it's possible. So let's get practical. If you're in a place where you, you want to take a deeper step of faith, you want to get in the game, you want to figure out what your next step is, I've got some, an activity for you to do. And I'm serious about this. I would love it if sometime today or this week, you would set aside a little bit of time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, get a journal or a notepad or something like that. And I want you to thoughtfully and prayerfully go through this list of questions. And the, the list of questions, by the way, are in the Grace app, in the app notes for the sermon, so you don't have to worry about writing them down. They're all in there. But here's, here's the list of questions. I want you to process this with God's help and see if you can start to, to get a picture of who he is calling you to be. Question one, where has God placed you? In your life, in your life story, where has God placed you? Question two, who has God put in your path? Think about the people in your life, especially those who don't know Christ. Who's he put in your path? How has God redeemed your brokenness? What's your story of redemption? What passions has God given you to heal the world? Another way of thinking about it, what's, what gets your heart beating faster when you see something broken? It makes you outraged. What's the passion that you have? And finally, how has God gifted you uniquely? By answering those questions, giving some significant thought to that, you will have a better sense of the faith that God has measured out to you. As you say, put me in, coach, you'll have a better idea of the game he's calling you to play, both to serve inside this community of faith as well as outside our walls. Oh, and by the way, that last question, you may not know what your gifts are. Maybe a little bit hard to articulate that. And so our digital experience team has done an amazing thing. They've created this awesome uh, spiritual gifts assessment. You can take it. It's kind of like a personality test. It's on our website, gracechurch.us slash gifts test. And you take it, you kind of talk about the things that come really naturally to you, and it gives you your results where you can see the two or three of the, the top gifts that it's likely that God has given you to serve the church. And what I love what I think they've done such a good job with is that the results will also include some general ideas for some actual practical things you could do with these gifts. Maybe you're not sure where to serve. It'll give you some ideas and it'll give you some specific ministries at Grace that you could literally next weekend, you could start using your gifts to serve within. So it's exciting. It's really cool. I encourage you to take a look at that. gracechurch.us slash gifts test and uh, yeah, find out what God has made you to do. All right. Next week, we're going to dig into this concept of spiritual gifts. We're going to talk a lot more deeply about how this works and what are, the, what are these gifts and all of that, because that's what comes next in this passage. But for now, I encourage you again, do some journaling with these questions. Take the spiritual gifts assessment. Do it. And take your next step to find out the very reason you were made. Grace Church, it's time to get off the bench, right? It's time to get in the game. And here's why. Because you were made for more. You were. Let's pray. Well, Father, I'm so grateful that you would choose to 
invite us into this this whole mission of yours. It, it really doesn't make much sense because we don't feel particularly uh, equipped. We don't feel like we're naturally ready for any of this. And yet, Father, you give us gifts. You equip us. You shape us to be the kinds of people that can do the things you've called us to do. And so we are grateful for that. Father, I pray for myself, for everybody who's a part of grace, that you would show us, shine a light into our lives so we can see not only how much you have given us and all of the incredible ways that you've come through for us over the years, but that you would begin to, to help us see clearly the person that you have called each one of us to be. And would you maybe show us, where's the, where's the gap? Where are we falling short of becoming exactly who you see us to be? Because Father, we know that that person, when we live into that full vision, that is when we experience your life, your peace, your joy, and all the rest of it. So Father, show us who we are. Show us who you desire for us to be and give us the courage to take next, the next steps that we need to take to be the people that you have made. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as a part of this series, we felt it was really important to introduce you to some people from Grace who demonstrate some of these concepts firsthand. And uh, I want to introduce you to Lori Hartman. So would you welcome Lori briefly? Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> so Lori has been walking with Jesus for many, many years, um, but she's specifically been serving at Grace in a number of different ways, and I'm, I'm blown away at how God has taken your specific gifts and skills and has used them to invest in this community. Specifically, most recently, Lori has been training our staff when it comes to things like pastoral care and counseling a little bit. Uh, she's been offering counseling services to our staff. She's been doing a lot of teaching. She's amazing. So, Lori, maybe rather than me describe it, why don't you talk briefly? What would you say— God has been doing through your specific gifts, and, and how has he shaped you to serve the church, to serve in his, his mission? Okay. Well, I want to put this in context and say that my journey started at age 19. Um, I'm now 65. Hmm. And the first thing that happened was I said yes to leading a small group for my church at college. And through that, I started to recognize a passion, a passion for people who were struggling, a passion for people who were um, going through tough times. And had I heard Dave and Barry's talks about the six broken places, I would have said, oh, broken place of pain, that's me. Hmm. And then as I said yes to other opportunities and as other opportunities kind of got foisted upon me, you know how that happens sometimes, and it, it, it oftentimes is a life changer, um, I realized that, oh, I, I do have a gift in shepherding. I do have a gift of wisdom. Oh, I, I can teach. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's great. And, but I want to highlight, too, that sometime that not only do we have passions and gifts, but there is a piece in, in all of our journeys called skill development, and that that is a journey that every one of us can be on, taking advantage of these new and different opportunities to, to continue to hone our skills, to be more effective, to, to have a broader reach. And so now where I am is I consider myself moderately skilled in pastoral care and healing prayer and do serve folks one-on-one. -on -one. I do teaching and then I'm also training and one of the exciting things for me was just yesterday I was with a group from another church talking to them about healing prayer. So, to be continued. 
That's awesome. I love that. So let's, let's zoom out a little bit from you and just talk about uh, believers in general. We, you know, what do you have to say about this whole idea of each one of us being uniquely shaped uh, for a purpose? Oh, well, I will tell you, a lot of times I think we see this by being in a contrasting place. So I'll give you two examples. One, uh, my son is a missionary, and I, in order to spend more time with him and his family, I said, well, I'll, I'll come to your international conference, and I'll volunteer. And they put me in childcare. <laughs> they put me in with six to eight-year-olds, lots and lots of boys, uh, 75 kids in one room Oof. with six different languages. And it was a rough week. <laughs> but one of the things that I saw, I saw people in that room who didn't have children who were attending the conference, who came just because they loved missionaries and they loved missionary kids, and they paid their own airfare, they paid their own room and board to be there and serve those kids. Hmm. And they, they had me in awe. That was a contrast for me. And it really made me realize again what a gift we have in our, our Grace Kids and student ministry volunteers and staff because they do this thing week after week after week because not, not only because it's necessary, but because it's something that is deeply felt within them. And then I want to talk about the music man. Did y'all, those of you who missed it, so sorry. Next year, <laughs> don't. Don't. Um, that, that production took over 100 people's different gifts and skills. It took actors. It took musicians. It took lighting people and production people. And do you realize there were three guys backstage whose only job it was to take care of the mics? Hmm. And, and these guys were there for 10, 10 productions, and they never saw the show. Hmm. I mean, how awesome is that? And if you took a thousand of me's, again, we'll talk contrast, you took a thousand of me, I could not have done that. <laughs> right. It took each one of them with their gifts. And so, yeah. That's awesome. And, and what I've heard already, beginning to hear stories of the number of people whose own lives and journeys with Jesus have perhaps uh, taken a new, a new step just because they were in the building and they had an experience here because of that musical. And so, yeah, you see all those gifts working together to do incredible things. So final thought, anything you want to say to the people of Grace, the mic is yours. Go for it. Okay. Uh, one thing. We need one another in order to discover our gifts. Because so often— if you have a gift, it feels so natural, it feels so normal, it feels ordinary. Like, well, yeah, I love spreadsheets, don't you? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. And you have a gift of organization. And so we need to call that out in one another. Um, we need to call it out. You have a gift for working with children. You have a passion for justice. I can see your heart burning because when we live in our own soup, in our own heads, we don't see how unique we are. And we, so I would charge you to look around at the people in your life and call out these gifts. You'll be really glad you did, and we'll benefit from that. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, friends, we have, uh, we've come to the end of our service. If there's anything that you'd like prayer for, uh, members of our prayer team will be right over here by the cross afterwards. They'd love to pray with you. Um, Pastor Pierre will be in the lobby. I encourage you, go shake his hand. Go talk to him a little bit. I'll be in the lobby as well if you want to talk. Uh, guys, I love you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.